Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to comprehend the inheritance that you're giving us. We ask that you would help us to understand that inheritance and to understand its purpose. And we ask that as we reflect on your word, you would give us insight into it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What kind of peacock do I want to be? It's kind of a strange question, isn't it? That thought popped into my head a month ago. I was shopping for sunglasses. These are my old ones. Got them for about 20 bucks at Walgreens. They're, they're okay, they got a few scratches on them. They're not that stylish, but they get the job done. And one day, I was watching one of my favorite TV shows, and on comes one of the main characters with these awesome shades. I mean, they were awesome. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, those shades were meant for me. If I got them, I could just see myself looking or walking around seeing how good I looked, thinking how much attention I would be drawing to myself. So I went online and I found a pair just like them for $150. A little more than I've ever spent for sunglasses. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of like thinking about ordering these and, uh, and then this weird thought pops into my head. This question, what kind of peacock do I want to be? Peacocks are known for their feathers, for their large, beautiful feathers that they use to bring attention to themselves. That's what the feathers are for. And I had this strange thought pop into my mind. Do I want to be a peacock that draws attention to myself and how cool I am and how good looking I am? Or do I want to be a different kind of peacock? Somebody that's known to God for caring for the poor. And this question's kind of floating around in my mind, and I found another pair of glasses that were pretty similar for 95 bucks. So I thought, I'll go with these, and I'll also write a check to Shepherd's Heart for the same amount. Shepherd's Heart's this cool ministry to the homeless in Pittsburgh. And I thought, okay, this is what I'll do. So the glasses came, I couldn't do it. So I sent the glasses back. I still sent the check into Shepherd's Heart. But here's the thing. I'm not knocking looking good. I'm not knocking designer sunglasses if you have designer sunglasses. What I'm knocking is my proclivity to want to draw attention to myself for the wrong reasons. What I'm knocking is my forgetfulness of the poor and often my lack of loving them as my neighbor, loving them as myself. So that question, what kind of peacock do I want to be, still haunts me. And our passage from Ephesians asks all of us that question. What kind of peacocks do we want to be? The matter comes to us in Ephesians as we're told that we are given an inheritance. And we're also told the purpose of that inheritance. We're going to work backwards. We're going to look first 
at the purpose of this inheritance, and then we're going to look at what that inheritance itself is. Would you look at verses 11 and 12 with me? Here's what they say. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance so that we might live for the praise of his glory. That's the purpose of our inheritance, to live for the praise of his glory. The purpose of our inheritance is to live our lives in such a way that we are peacocks for God's glory, that we draw attention to God's glory. On first glance, that command may make God seem egotistical. It may make God seem self-centered and conceited. But let's step back a moment and consider the question, what is God's glory? What is it about God that makes people come in awe of him? It's his character. People see the glorious things he is and he does because of who he is, because he is all-powerful and all-knowing, because he is more merciful than any person you or I know, because he's perfectly just, perfectly loving, kind, and patient. And so, while it seems on first glance that this command of God's that we live for his glory, while it may seem egotistical at first, it turns out that when we draw attention to his glory through our words and our deeds, we're making his character more manifest in the world. That is not a bad thing. It turns out that the more God's glory is displayed, the more humans flourish. The more his character comes into our world, the more it combats what ails us. That's what our inheritance is for, so that we can draw attention to God's glory, not just in our words, but in our deeds, and reflect his character and make his character more present in the world. That's what our inheritance is for. What is this inheritance? Before we answer that question, I want to look at another modern-day inheritance. I've been getting a lot of phone calls lately from people inviting me to switch electricity providers. Have you gotten those? They are persistent. But I know a land where such calls do not exist. In this land, electricity is free. Healthcare is free. Education is free. And there are no taxes. In this land, if you get married, you're given a plot of land and low-cost loans with which to build a home. And that is your inheritance given to you if you are born a Qatari citizen. If you are a citizen of Qatar, that's the inheritance you receive. The unemployment rate is also 0.4%. It's not too bad. That inheritance 
saves you from many of the troubles of life that, if left unresolved, sometimes lead to destruction. And this inheritance gives you a home. The inheritance Ephesians 1 speaks of bears similarities to this Qatari inheritance. It involves being rescued from many of the cares that, that assail us, and it involves being given a home. There are two key words in this passage that describe our inheritance. Adoption in verse 5 and redemption in verse 7. These two themes of our inheritance intertwine and play off each other. Let's look at the theme of redemption. We read in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. In the Old Testament, redemption refers to purchasing or buying back something that would otherwise be lost, taken prisoner, or destroyed. Something that, if it's not redeemed, is going to be useless. I was doing a load of laundry this week, and have you ever had Big League chew that, that bubble gum? Well, a couple weeks ago, a friend gave me some, and I chewed it, and I put it in a napkin, put it in my pocket. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't realize it was there until it had not only gone through the wash, but the dryer. And that stuff is amazing. It just multiplied like crazy. And so it stuck on there. I'm trying to figure out how do I get this stuff off. And I'm getting advice from all kinds of people. Some people were saying you put ice on it, then you scrape it off. Others were saying goo gone. Others were saying take it to the dry cleaners. The dry cleaners were saying don't take it to us. Fortunately, one of my friends was able to salvage some of it. But in a large part, those clothes are not redeemable. They are now destined for destruction because they can't fulfill their purpose any longer. And redemption in the Bible has this mind-boggling sense of something that is going to be destroyed, something that is, has been destroyed, something that there is no hope for being redeemed. We see in verse 7 how we are redeemed, how we are brought back through the blood of Christ. We see that we are redeemed from the trespasses and sins that you and I commit. But Klein Snodgrass, a, a scholar of Paul, suggests that Paul, in this passage and others, is not simply speaking of us being redeemed from our individual sins that we commit, but he suggests Paul is also speaking of being redeemed from a larger systemic network and power of sin that operates in the world, that holds us in bondage until we know Christ. He's suggesting that we're redeemed on two levels. One level, if you will, is in a courtroom where we stand on trial for the sins we have personally committed. One of my friends says that Jesus is a defense lawyer. And as we stand there rightly accused of the, the sins that we've done, Jesus not only defends us, but he pays the price for this to redeem us. And he gets the charges against us dropped. That's redemption operating on one level. The other level on which it operates is that 
were pulled out, were yanked out of the rat race. Sin doesn't have the allure and hold on us that it once did. Our eyes are open to another way of living. And instead of being continually drawn in, sucked into this black hole of destruction that so much of the world is diving into, we're redeemed to live a different kind of life. Our inheritance involves being redeemed and rescued from the power of sin, but it also means we are brought home. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5 when he says, we were destined for adoption as God's children. We are rescued, then we're brought home. We're given not just a physical home, but a spiritual home, not just four walls, but a true resting place for our body and soul. Some of you know the sensation of going to the house you grew up in, of going to the house where your family is, but not feeling at home. You know that sensation because in that building, you are not free to be yourself. You are not valued for who you are. You are loved imperfectly by the people within those walls, and therefore, it is not home. Others of us know the sensation of living in a world where we need to keep our guard up, a world in which we may be liked and appreciated and valued and respected, but sometimes we wonder, how long will this last? How long will it be before I have to do something new to impress, something to impress or keep the approval of those around me? How much of myself can I reveal and still be part of the in-crowd? We all experience this because we love imperfectly and are loved imperfectly. We wound others and they wound us. But the inheritance Paul speaks of in which we are adopted as God's children, we come home to a place where this all stops. A place where we are loved perfectly. In Christ, we're adopted into a family so good that we have a hard time comprehending it. A family where our Father takes great delight in us, is never embarrassed by us, and never lets us down. In Christ, we are redeemed and rescued from a world in which the arrows of sin fly constantly around us, hitting us and being unleashed by us. We're redeemed from this and adopted into a new family and a new home. And we know that we sense this imperfectly now. We get tastes of it. And that's what Paul is describing in verses 13 and 14. He says, When you heard the gospel of salvation and believed in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And he says, This is the pledge. This is the down payment. This is the foretaste of your inheritance. On good days, we taste what that inheritance is like. We taste the redemption and can feel the home we are coming to. We sense this through the comforting work of the Holy Spirit inside us, conveying God's truth and love to us. But it's only a down payment that we will receive in full 
when Jesus returns to fully make his reign known. God comes to us in this passage and says, I'm giving you an inheritance. And I'm giving it to you so that you might live for my glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this inheritance that you've given us. We thank you for redeeming our lives, which had no hope without you. We thank you for giving us a new home and for giving us a foretaste of this inheritance. We ask that you would help us to use this inheritance rightly, to draw attention to you. We pray that when we're tempted to to draw attention to ourselves, that you would remind us of how much you have given us and to share that with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.